0: How many were here last Sunday when Brendan talked about rejection? Yeah, a number of you. You know, it's one of those subjects that we knew uh, when Brendan went down that street. Who hasn't been touched by rejection? I mean, it's just stained the world. And yet, the thing that we need to understand is the reason it's so painful, you know, Brendan was talking about how it registers much, uh, in a much more lasting and deep way than physical pain. Talked about how our brains shut off as you you encounter rejection. All of that is because it's so very core to who we aren't. You see, when God created us, his intention was the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve are completely vulnerable and they're not ashamed. It's like, whoa! Where can you go on this planet now and be completely all of who you are and all of who you're working on and not get shame. I mean it's, it's gonna come in somewhere. And so there's this intense thing that we're wandering through. And as Brennan was preaching last Sunday, I thought about uh, it dropped in my heart this verse, accept one another. Romans fifteen seven. And oftentimes, you know, we hear verses like that and we go over well, there. All that rejection stuff is fixed. It's like when you got a big job interview and you go to the you're getting ready to go to the job interview and your friend says, Don't be worried. Like, like that's going to just make the worry run away, you know? Or, or you're, you're going to uh, take a risk, and they say, don't be afraid. Well, thank you for that, you know? And this idea of accepting one another, it's a challenging deal, isn't it? How do we do that, especially if we're still limping from rejections of our own? And when we meet people, we're trying to negotiate. So um, if, I, if I'm up here, can you see the slides okay? Okay. Okay. So when you meet someone, there's usually like, you're, you're asking questions and you're kind of searching out. And, and they're asking their own questions and searching out. And we're looking for some kind of basis that we can relate. We can connect. We, we can begin this relationship. And it can be, sometimes be really small things like, oh, you're a Vikings fan. I'm a Vikings fan. Or you're a Packers fan. I'm a Packers fan. I'm a Cubs fan. Ho! Oh! Ho! Give me a shout, will you? It's been a long time, Scott Sterling, has it not? You know, so, um, you know, you meet someone that's a Cubs fan. Like, I knew Scott was a Cubs fan. He grew up really close to Wrigley Field. And I'm like, yes! And, And so we have that bond. But when you don't have that immediately, when you don't see it, when you're going into a new situation that's sometimes hard to navigate, man, it can be tough. When I was a kid, I was a great pretender, and my dad didn't help things because he would make up names for us kids. And so when I went to kindergarten, trying to negotiate, like, will I be accepted or not? You know, and the teacher's calling off roll call. She's going through all the names, and of course, Spencer is down the list, and she says, Mark Spencer, and I don't respond. Mark Spencer, I don't respond. So she kind of notices me, but then... She continues down the list like a good teacher, which finishes roll call. Everyone else is there but this Mark Spencer guy. So she comes up and, and she says, are you sure you're not Mark Spencer? Because I only have one name on my list, and you're, I have one boy and one name, one boy, and it's Mark Spencer. Are you sure you're not Mark Spencer? Well, who are you? Clyde Suckfinger, which is my dad's nickname. So when I went home, my parents talked to me about my real identity. I was shocked. You mean I'm not Clyde Suckfinger? You call me that all the time. But, you know, I became a great pretender. I always trying to, uh, I was like a chameleon. Whatever group was there, I'd kind of read what's going to be acceptable and slide in. I don't know if anyone else did that, you know. So I, I remember third grade, we moved from Chicago to Milwaukee And I sat down, I was super nervous, I was so awkward. And I sat down at this desk, and this desk was Rob Allen. And the teacher is writing on the board. And Rob Allen pulls out a long plastic straw. And then looks at me and smiles, and he inserts the spitball in the straw, and goes, and it flies right by the teacher's head and splat on the board. She wheels around, and I'm in complete awe. Are you kidding me? So the teacher just, you know, she, she tries to downplay it. She turns around and continues to write. And Rob Allen hands me the plastic straw. i got to fit in. You know, i gotta, I got to do something to connect. So he shows me, tear off a piece of paper, put it in my mouth. So put it in my mouth, and she's still writing. I think that was my chance. And I go, <laughs> and I'm standing up with the straw, and the teacher turns around, busted. So much for acceptability, right? In all this negotiation, you know, we're, we're looking through this little lens. You know, am I going to be accepted? Are, are you acceptable? Is this going to work? And, and the problem is, is that the me standard just doesn't hold up. We feel so vulnerable. It's risky. I got one of me, and so if I risk me and I lose me, Rats. You feel the same way. We all feel it in relationships and there's this real instability as we try to figure out how, how do we do this thing of relationships. And so it seems easiest for us to relate to people who are most like us. But there's a problem with that kind of modality of thinking, well, you know, I'll just find people who are like me. There isn't that many people like me and you can start to set up your life where you're over here and all those different people stay over there and we have barriers and our life gets disconnected. It gets lonely and you feel isolated. It's one of the reasons that Americans are one of the most isolated people in the world today is because we keep segmenting. And our country is, is a boiling pot, always has been. Probably always will be. There's probably no place in the world where there's not some kind of boiling pot mixing people. I was at a doctor's office this week and I'm sitting in the waiting room and there's a group of Somali people over here and they're speaking Somalian. I, I, it's just a totally different language. I'm listening to the language and go, wow, that's interesting. And then a Hispanic group is over here speaking Spanish. Over here is a, Mo- a group of Hmong people speaking Hmong. And I, I, I thought, wow. I'm sitting in the, the middle of a really unique melting pot. Have you experienced that? It's the world we live in. And so to do that, it's, it's not, it's not going to lead to a connected life, and it certainly is not going to lead to a missional life where we can accomplish the mission of Christ because too many churches look like this. All of us folks that look the same, act the same, think the same are there, and we got people out here and we don't know, and it's segmented. Our social life is that way. Our, our uh, churches are, are that way. Our schools sometimes are that way. And see, this was the thing that when Jesus stepped into the world, wanted to turn upside down. Wanted to start an absolute revolution. Because if there's one thing you could say about Jesus is the outsiders are now the insiders. And the people who thought they were the insiders are now the outsiders. What's going on? And how is he doing this? And how is he thinking this? And how can we follow suit in such a radical, vulnerable display of offering himself? Because Paul says in the verse, we need to accept one another just as Christ accepted you. You see, what I just talked about was bonding. Bonding. If we like the same food, if we cheer for the same sports team, it's easy to bond. And it's bonding over something that's superficial. But bridging transcends initial differences, transcends culture, transcends color, transcends economic strata. And what Jesus came to do was to bridge The huge chasm between heaven and us. God and us. And so we want to look at a story today to say, how how can I do a little bit of what Jesus does? How can I stretch and bridge instead of just look for bonding experiences and have these superficial connections? What, What does it really look like to accept one another even as Christ? Has accepted me. Does that make sense? So the story is in Matthew 9. Here's how it begins. While Jesus was having dinner at the Pharisees' house, whoops, nope, he's at Matthew's house. Who's coming to dinner? Many tax collectors and sinners. Holy cannoli. They came and they ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now I want you to see something, something that needs to begin already to transform your inner sense of how you think about you. If there is one thing that amazes me as I read the Gospels over and over again, for decades reading these Gospels, is how, how incredible, how fierce the attack was on Jesus' identity. When he is drawn away and tempted in Matthew 4, the two opening temptations are this from the devil... If you are the son of God. And one of the things that will attack you when you begin to settle yourself on the side of Jesus is who do you think you are? Who are you to open wide the doors? Who are you to sit at the table of Jesus? And these people are the ones on the outside shouting those tax collectors and those sinners but at Jesus' table that's not who they were to him. Do you think Jesus said, hey, all you sinners, get over here and sit down? No. Unbelievable to see the people that are freely drawn to Jesus, the lepers, the lame, the blind, the ostracized, the tax collectors, the people that are prostitutes, the people that are locked they're all running to Jesus. And when they get to Jesus, he does not shame them. He does not tell them, you're sinners, get away from me. He gives them a new identity. And my goodness, when I met Jesus Christ, October seventeenth, 1980, I told you the Father was right here. And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, oh my God, this is the Father I've looked for all my life. It was a face-to-face encounter with God's... just unbelievable, unconditional, unstoppable love just running over me like a, like a herd of buffalo stampeding me. And it was like, wow, I am loved by the almighty God. And every single one of you are invited to come and sit at this table. And don't you dare let that devil tell you you're anything less than a child of God. You belong to him. He died for you. Wrote your names on his hands. He stretches wide his arms. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. And even after you're a believer, when you stumble and fall and you trip in the darkness, Jesus is right there, pulls out the chair and says, sit down, let's talk. Get a hold of it. You see, that's what's happening and these people on the outside are so mad about it. But Jesus is including The Pharisees want to exclude. Jesus is inviting. They want a blacklist. Jesus is embracing. They're excommunicating. Ladies and gentlemen, in the name of Jesus Christ, you have a very secure place at the table. Done. Finished. Grandma Margie's house, when you went to her house, it wasn't a free-for-all. Your cup with your name was right at your place. You didn't wonder where you sat. You had your chair sit down. It's not just the Pharisees, though, because there's people that you think would catch on. John's disciples, this is Jesus' cousin, the Baptist. They come and they say, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but you guys don't? What's happening here? I mean, we kind of expect it from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We don't expect it from the Baptists. Isn't he a good guy? And you see, the natural tendency, and this is the thing that happens to us, it happens to churches all over, can happen to us. Some ways it may already have. Is that once a group forms, the people inside that group get a little nervous about losing their place. Some of you that have a certain chair in the sanctuary here, how do you feel when you walk in and someone's sitting in your chair? Oh, brother or sister, go right ahead. Usually we go, this in my chair. Go get an usher. Get that person out of my chair. Are you sure, so sure? Yes, it's my chair. I sit there all the time. And it's normal because we want to know where we belong. That's human nature. Where do I fit? Where do I sit? Where's mine? We all want the space that's ours that no one can take. But the problem is, is that these religious groups they draw these meaningless things. You're like my friend who was a pastor in Canada, grew up in a church that was called Black Coat Baptists. And if you were a good Black Coat Baptist, guess what you had to wear? Black coat. Bingo. Now, do you think Jesus is up there going, oh, whoa, whoa, Mark's got a brown coat on today. I think we'll throw him a bolt of lightning. (laughs) No, right? But you see, the group would notice, ooh, if we start letting him wear that brown jacket, oh, pretty soon people wear blue jackets. Christmas, they might wear red jackets. And then, you know, And see, this is the struggle. These markers become not markers of inclusion, but markers of exclusion. And Jesus is failing them in marking 101. And he wants them to realize something, that once you have secured a place at the table of Jesus and you are secure, you begin to live your life in a way that it doesn't matter who's across the way, because of the security of Jesus because of what he's done to bring you to the table, because of what he's done to ensure your space, because he said, abide in me, and I'll abide in you, because you have that space, you naturally begin to open your space. It flows. Because now I'm not worried. You mess with me, you mess with Jesus. He's got my mug right there on my space. He's got my name on. He's got me. You see, bridging looks past the obvious differences and looks under to recognize what it is that Jesus wants to do in this relationship. One of my best friends, a guy that stood up in my wedding, was a guy that played nose guard on a football team, Ken Pinckney, an African-American, just a wonderful guy. I grew up in a town that was almost entirely white. And I remember one time going home with Pick. That was his nickname. So Pick and I were there, and we we were going to go out to dinner, and we're driving along, and all of a sudden I noticed a cop is following me. And I have a bad reputation in my town with cops for a lot of reasons. but So I thought maybe it was that. And then, you know, so I thought, well, I'm going to turn down this side street. This guy kept following me. Then pretty soon two cop cars are following me. And I think, what's going on? And then Pick just looks over at me and he goes, "It's me." I said, "What do you mean, it's you?" He said, "We're not used to seeing a black guy in your town. They're following us." And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" He said, "Yeah, I'll show you. Drop me off at the store, and you keep going. Dropped him off at the store, kept going. Guess what? The cops stopped at the store." There's something deeper, is there not, than color? There's something deeper in an eternal way than stature. There's something deeper, is there not? Is there not the value of a human soul? And the same one who created me, created can and bridging goes for that because if I'm straight on honest scripture says in Romans 5 that Christ died for us while we were still yet enemies and man I was not a friend of Jesus I was not a good soul I was not a nice guy I wasn't worth adding to his team. I was pretty much altogether different. Angry, fighting, crude, addicted. And somehow the master bridge builder crossed it. And now he's saying, if you will be my people, you'll be marked by the same bridge building tendencies. Do you know the reason why Bridgewood is called Bridgewood? Tom Stewart at his other church realized we were not building enough bridges. And he heard God say, well, what are you going to do about it? And that's why we're here. That's why Bridgewood exists. And he named it Bridgewood for the intentionality of we would cross over the bridge to bring that message to whoever would listen to it regardless of creed, color, nationality, you name it. That's why we're called Bridgewood. But you see, for us to do this, it feels vulnerable. It's like, Mark, you don't know some of the people I know. My friend who was in Canada, when he took a new church, went to the church, and he started preaching this message of grace. They didn't like it because if you keep preaching that, we're going to get people who really believe that. And he said, well, what do you believe? He said, well, we believe that grace is important, but about what he said. He kept preaching until, sure enough, the little prophecy that this deacon had given to him came true. One Sunday, they had over 70 blue-haired, punked out, you know, with metal in their faces, all kinds of walking to the church. What would you do? Doors fling open. Guys come in in black leather jackets, mohawks, speaking different languages. What would you do? See, Jesus says this story, this analogy, he says no one can sew a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for that patch will pull away, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins, and both are preserved. The idea is you can't live this new way with the old standard. You can't live this new way doing the old things. You can't live this new way with the me view. You've got to live through a Jesus view. You've got to live through that new wine perspective. And it means opening your space. I'm not getting many amens. But he's telling the story to us, people. It's as scary for me as it is you. I mean, think for a moment. That our space, we all have personal bubbles, right? Some of us are okay if someone's like this close. Brendan's okay like that. I like like this. Some people like like that. But well, we all have this bubble, don't we? It's, it marks our space. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you to be radical and open that space up. And we're like, "Woo!" I don't know about that. Because yeah, you won't be able to do that with the old perspective. You've got to have a new perspective. Oh, yep, and you've got to stretch with me. See, opening space is trying for us. How do you feel about sharing space when you're mad at your spouse? Oh, honey, come on over and sit next to me on the couch and let's snuggle. You're mad at a kid, you know? Come on over and let me just give you a big hug. Mad at a friend, you know? You do this, don't you? How do you feel about sharing space on the highway during rush hour? Just tell them first service, a miracle occurred the other day. I was merging and someone let me in. I wanted to stop everything and declare a national holiday. Somehow get this on national news. Someone waited for me, shared their space. What? See, all these places where we think, that's my space. You can't have that. Jesus is saying, you can't live like that and stretch with me. Now, he he wants us to understand, there's some places... In order for us to get to the new place, we need to understand some old verses. And I'm not going to be exhaustive here, but there's verses that we can read and you go, I don't quite get that. Like Colossians 3.3. This is what it says. For you have died. That should make you stop and go, what? Like, I know I don't look that good. (laughs) But there's still a pulse. I'm still kicking air in, you know. For you've died. What does that mean? And then it goes on and says, And your life is hidden with Christ in God. What? Is this some kind of spiritual platitude? What what does that mean? And then Jesus' prayer, like this, That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me? What? What? Are you saying, like, am I going to be a a God? Is that what you're saying? We would say, no, that's not what it means. What God says all over the New Testament, and interesting enough in the Old Testament as well, it's more emphatic and clear in Christ in the New Testament, is you and I, when we step into the kingdom, are part of the Holy Trinity. We part. We become part. Not that we're God, but that we have this proximity of this perfect community. The Father, Son, and the Spirit dwelling as one. This, the Trinity kind of blows our mind, but the idea of the Trinity there is that there's this perfect, harmonious, love-charged place that's always there, always present. And when we step in in Christ, what Paul says is true, according to Romans 8, nothing will separate you from that love. Nothing. And so what Jesus is trying to get us to understand through the story and numerous verses is, when you are in me, you are secure. When you are in me, it's done, you're settled. When you are in me, no one can take your space. No one can take your mind. And out of that then, you are able to go, come on in. Which is why Jesus says, you guys need to try some of this wine. No, they poured new wine the new wineskins. They both preserved wine in the Bible. The, it's an analogy of the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is saying is that if you have me, my spirit in you, guess what? You're different. These things are different than if I decide to take this thing <laughs> And just fill it with what I got. This behaves different. Why? It's filled with something different. Isn't it? And what Jesus is saying is that when you take this wine, when you receive me, you will be filled in such a way that you will begin to be marked with different markers. You'll invite the unlikelies. You'll include the unlovelies. You will take in the unwanted. And you will be entirely different. Mark my whole thing, you'll be uniquely different because of me. And when we live in an invitational, inclusive way, we are showing proof positive, we got it. So in the book of Acts, when Peter stands up and he delivers a wonderful sermon, he doesn't put his foot in his mouth, amazingly, the Bible notes that Peter stood up and he was full of the Spirit, the new wine. In Acts 10, when he realizes he needs to open up his world to the Gentiles, what? The Bible notes the Spirit. And when you and I walk across the street to the neighbors that the whole block has confirmed are very weird and you open up your life and people watch you, they're going to say they're marked with something else. Marked with something else. How many of you know who Cory Ten Boom is. She is a gal that took in hundreds and hundreds of Jews that were fleeing the Nazi regime in World War II. She eventually got caught and was imprisoned. Her and her sister Betsy. Unfortunately, Betsy went home to be with the Lord because of the, just the crude and brutal conditions. Cory lived and she began to preach her message all throughout Europe. And in one church, she was preaching. And interesting enough, she preached a message on forgiveness. How can you open up a space to someone who's an enemy? Because Christ has forgiven you, how do I take that forgiveness, sit down in it, allow that to fill me in a way where I float above it, and offer that same style of forgiveness to another? And the service ended. Powerful message. She's beginning to make her way to go out into the foyer and as she's going out there all of a sudden the hand comes in front and she follows the hand up to a face and her breath leaves her because it's the very prison guard that tormented her sister Betsy standing in this church with his hand out. He goes, oh, Fraulein, how grateful I am for your powerful message to think that Jesus washed my sins away. She writes, I was full of vengeance. I was boiling with anger. And the spirit within me whispered, forgive, even as Christ has forgiven you. She said, Lord, I can't do that. And then she said, but if you will do it through me, I will let you. She said a supernatural measure of grace caused her hand to rise and put into His. And in that minute, in that moment, one of the most unlikely pairings happened. And because of Christ and His Spirit and His presence, a bridge was made and lives were changed. Can you imagine If we open up our hearts in such a way as to say, Lord, fill me so I too can live that way, how different the world will be. Let's pray. Lord, it's a challenging message if we don't sit down at your table and realize it's you who wants to do the work in and through us. As we prepare for the offering, we also just prepare our hearts. We say, Lord, you know, we can offer you this tithe, this offering, but there's so much more you're calling to us about. And I pray right now, come Holy Spirit. Free us from wrong understandings that we might have about ourselves, about the people that we may be at odds with. Fill us. Use us. Make bridges. We pray in Jesus' name and honor.
1: Scripture says that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Sing about this hope.